0: Hey y'all, welcome to Calvary. My name's Caleb, and I'm on the tech team, and I play fiddle here. Here at Calvary, we want this to be a place where you can come and worship, get to know God, and connect with our community. If you're new here, we can't wait to get to know you. Feel free to message us on social media, or text the word hello to 587-323-1199, and we'll respond right back. It's a great first step to joining our church family and it's also about daily personal encounters with God, discipleship, and community. If you want to learn more about our culture here, deepen your relationship with God, and find a small group that can really connect with, we'd encourage you to talk to one of our volunteers or our staff after the service. We want to let you know what's going to be happening over the next hour or so. First, Our band is going to lead us in some worship. Mm -hmm. That'll help us understand who God is, express our love and affection towards him. Afterwards, we're going to take some time to let you all know about some of the things that are going to happen here at Calvary. Then one of our pastors will be sharing an encouraging message from our new sermon series. I'm so glad you're here. Now, I invite you to join in with us as we worship together.
1: Well, we are in the second week of a series called Where is God? Last week, Pastor Nathan explored with some, uh, explored some key events with us near the beginning of creation. And we looked at who the God of the Bible is and the type of relationship that Adam and Eve, the first two historical people that he created, the relationship that they had with him. And then we considered Genesis chapter three. And the pinnacle event that changed the trajectory, that, that changed the course of our human experience. We lost a lot on that day that Adam and Eve chose to disregard God by eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That day is recorded as the fall of mankind. And their disobedience is called sin. And it immediately separated us from the holy and the righteous Almighty God. And ever since that day, it is a common experience for many people to look for God and struggle to find Him. And if you are on a journey to discover who God is, and whether or not you can actually connect with Him, what has your search been like? If that search happened some time ago, think back, what has your journey been like as you've sought to connect with God? You know, one woman's conversation that the Apostle John records for us, Apostle John is Jesus' closest friend, he records a conversation about Jesus teaching her that God is spirit, And all who worship him will worship him, must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, a spirit is usually invisible to our naked eye, to our physical eye. A spirit dwells in the spiritual realm that is outside of the physical realm. Therefore, it is very difficult for us to look around and expect to find God like you would find somebody like perhaps a friend in the foyer after church. This separation between us and God has created a significant challenge for each person to believe in God and to sense his presence and to walk with him through our life. You know, for thousands of years, literally, people have been asking, where is God? You know, perhaps you've been looking at around at all the poverty, at the injustice, the mistreatment and abuse. Maybe you look at all the pain and the frustration and the brokenness in some of your relationships, and you're just about to give up. And no matter what age you are, perhaps you've been wrestling with questions of meaning and significance and feel like, feel like you're just coming up empty, All you can exclaim is, if there is a God, where is he? Well, if this is you, I can feel your frustration. And I'm so glad you're here. Because God hears the cry of your heart. He feels your frustration. He sees you. And because God is outside of time and space, as we know it, God saw the frustration. He saw the wrestling that you would be doing today. He saw that at the beginning of time. He saw it long before you got into this situation. In fact, that historical event that we looked at last week, what happened between Adam and Eve and God when they sinned brought a difficulty for us to relate to God that we cannot overcome in ourselves or by ourselves. And he sends somebody to help you out, to help us out. And God planned at the beginning of time to send Jesus. In fact, Jesus, who is God, he volunteers to become one of us, So that we can have a tangible, a physical, a real live representation of who God is. John chapter 1, verse 14. So the word, that's a reference to Jesus, became human and made his home among us. He was full of grace and truth. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Almighty God, who is invisible, untouchable, mysterious... He becomes one of us. For every person who has wondered, where is God? Or has sought to connect with him, he heard our cry and he becomes one of us, flesh and blood, fully God, fully human. So, where is God? Well, no longer invisible, no longer unreachable but very visible and very tangible in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that if you see me, if you know me, then you will see the Father, Father God. You will know God. But he not only came to be one of us, he came to set up and establish the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is not a physical nation per se, that we can go visit on holidays. You won't find it someplace in Southeast Asia or make a stop over there on your next Caribbean cruise. The kingdom of God is invisible to our physical eye. Perhaps you've heard that after Jesus was arrested on Good Friday, him and Pilate had a conversation. Pilate was the governor of Judea at the time. Pilate is trying to understand or decide what to do with Jesus as the religious leaders had arrested him and were asking Pilate to crucify him. So Pilate simply asked Jesus this question, are you the king of the Jews? And in John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus answers him and he says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were... My followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. So if it's not of this world, then where is it? Where is the kingdom of God? It is in any realm where Jesus reigns. The kingdom of God is in any realm where Jesus reigns. That may be in our hearts. That may be in our relationships. That may be in society or even on a a given piece of land. It certainly is in the spiritual realm. And of this kingdom, Jesus is the king. I want us to peer into a window far into the future. In fact, right at the end of the world as we know it, to see how Jesus is described and what he is about to do. And if you want, you can just close your eyes and picture the scene as I read it for you. Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. This is a reference to Jesus Christ. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes, picture this, were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of God, the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp, sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press on his robe at his thigh was written this title. Get this King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is Jesus King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In the book of Philippians that we just went through this last year, says that one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means he's boss. He's ruler. He's king over everything. And this is the king that the Jewish people had been looking for since that day back in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve failed so miserably. It was there. It was in those moments of brokenness where it entered the world that God promises a redeemer. He promises a savior, a king, who will one day overthrow Satan, the archenemy of God, and correct all that has been broken and that is wrong. There are some 300 prophecies throughout the Old Testament that you can go study for yourself that Jesus fulfilled by his birth and by his life. And many of them have to do with the coming Messiah. Now, the word Messiah is actually a Hebrew term, it means anointed one, and it means the same as Christ. So it can actually be interchanged, Messiah, Christ. You know, if you ask people what Christ means, especially as it relates to Jesus Christ, I think that many would say it's his second name. It's his surname. Like, my name is Barry Regeer. His name is Jesus Christ. But Christ is not a proper name. It is a description of who someone is. So to be literal about it, He is Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the anointed one. Now, without getting into the details, the Old Testament talks about three roles that were anointed with oil in the sense that they were set apart for God and for God's purposes. They were prophets, priests, and kings. But all the way through the Old Testament, the word Messiah... The anointed one only refers to one coming in the future that will be all of them, prophet, priest, and king. He will be all three. The Messiah, the Christ, is the agent of God through whom all of God's grand purposes would be accomplished. He will set his people free from their oppressors. That's what they were really looking forward to. He would heal them of their diseases. He will lead his people in righteousness, and the government will be on his shoulders. And according to some sources of history, by the time that Jesus was born, the Jews had gone through some 700 years of oppression by other nations, ruled by foreign kings. Some were brutal and ruthless more than others. The Romans were some of the worst. You know, sometimes I think that we think we have life pretty tough. Life is unbearable. And when we go through a really difficult season, we can become very discouraged if we feel it's just going on too long. And for some of us, that may be one day. (laughs) For others of us, it might be weeks, maybe months. Maybe for you, we would say it's been years. So consider what it is like for the Jewish people at the time that Jesus lived among us. The Jewish people are in the midst of some of the harshest and most brutal leadership of any nation that has conquered them. It has been 63 years that the Romans have ruled them. 63 years. And the burdens that they have put on the Jewish people have been heavy. And the people are just sick of it. I mean, I don't think we have any idea what it may be like to live under that kind of rule. I don't think we want to go there. Maybe you came from a country that was like that. The Jewish people can't wait for the day when the coming Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed one, would come and overthrow these tyrants, set up his kingdom, and rule with righteousness and justice. So at the very thought... At the very thought that Jesus may be the Christ, their conqueror, their Messiah, that he will establish God's kingdom here on this earth, the people are elated. They have seen miracles that Jesus is doing. Many of them have just witnessed Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Many of them were there when Jesus fed them along with 5,000 other people. No one in all of their recorded history has ever done so many miracles and taught with such authority than Jesus Christ did. Word was spreading like wildfire all around Jerusalem. In fact, the entire nation of Israel. They're excited. This might be it. Will it finally happen? Now, there's a particular week that is very important to Jewish people. It's called Passover. Some have estimated that 200,000 people are traveling from their hometowns to Jerusalem to celebrate this week of Passover. Most of them are already there. Now, Passover is a great week. It's the Jewish celebration of God freeing them from slavery in Egypt. It's called Passover because God instructed them God instructed them to bring a lamb into their home at the beginning of the week and make it a part of their family. And on the night that they were instructed, they were to slaughter the lamb and spread its blood over the doorposts of their house. And when the angel of death went through the cities of Egypt, killing the firstborn of each household, he would pass over their home and go to the next. Even Pharaoh himself lost his oldest son that night. That was the 10th and the final plague that would motivate Pharaoh enough to release God's people from Egypt's oppression. So, I hope we can see how meaningful and significant Passover is for them. It was one of the best weeks of the year that people looked forward to. And Jesus and his disciples are headed to Jerusalem to celebrate this week of Passover. And he and his disciples are, as they're making their way, We pick up this historical events. Follow along as I read. The great crowd that had come for the feast had heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They threw their cloaks on a colt and put Jesus on it. That's what we were singing about here earlier in the service. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. When he came near the place, where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd, those who went ahead of him, those who followed, began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The whole city was stirred and asked, well, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Imagine the commotion that is, this is creating both around Jerusalem and inside Jerusalem. These people are expecting Jesus to be their conqueror, to be their deliverer, the leader that will finally free them from these Romans. They're excited. They are passionate about being the ones to welcome him into their city into their capital, the place where their Messiah will set up his reign. This is the processional they're thinking, setting up the stage for his coronation. It says the whole city was stirred. Probably a more accurate rendering of that Greek word would be rocked. The whole city was in an uproar. It was rocked with excitement and anticipation. But you see what the crowd didn't realize was the exact timing of these events. Now, this is fascinating. Stick with me for a minute. It was on the 10th day of the month of Nisan that the sacrificial Passover lamb was selected by each family in ancient Egypt. They were to bring this lamb into their home as part of the family until the 14th day of Nisan. And on the night of the 14th day, they were to slaughter the lamb and spread the blood over its doorposts of their home. And this Passover week was celebrated on the exact same day, all of these, or exact same week, all of these years later. Get this. This day that Jesus enters Jerusalem, that would have been Monday, It is the 10th day of Nisan on the Jewish calendar. But on this day, I don't think the people had any recollection. I don't think they had any correlation to the events of that original Passover. They just thought they were welcoming their conqueror, their coming king. And if they, even if they did realize and think this through, Passover was all about God freeing them from the oppression of the Egyptians. What a great week to welcome the one who's going to deliver us from the Romans, their cruel oppressors. This is a great day. It was right that they celebrated Jesus as their king, their Messiah, the Christ. This was actually the first time in his life and in his ministry that he said, Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You can talk about this. You can shout about this. Every other time before this day, Jesus was like, no, 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 don't, don't talk about that yet. Just be quiet. Don't tell anyone. This day he says, no, let it go. Shout it to all who will listen. Where is God? He's riding into Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He is our promised Messiah, the Christ. He is the king. God who became man to give us a tangible, visible picture of who God is and how he feels about us. But what they didn't know at the time, nor understand, was that they were actually receiving into their home of Jerusalem their sacrificial Passover lamb. And just as they had, they had done some 1,300 years earlier, they crucified Jesus, their sacrificial Passover lamb, on the 14th day of Nisan, which would have been Friday of that week. but those events around Jesus' suffering and death, they're in the future. They have no idea. They have no way of knowing how things will turn. All they know is not just the excitement of that day, but the hope that God's promise from thousands of years ago will actually come true in their lifetime. So today, from their perspective This is a great day. He is our king. There's a part of these events that no one seems to notice. There is someone, or might I say something, involved in these events that no one takes seriously. And that something is the donkey. Luke chapter 19, verse 29, and as Jesus approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a donkey's colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. You see, all the way through this great processional, so down the hill from the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, and up the hill towards Jerusalem's east gate, Called the Golden Gate. That is the gate that Jesus will enter as the eventual conqueror near the end of time as we know it. Nobody on this day seems to notice that their deliverer was approaching Jerusalem riding a donkey. He wasn't riding a majestic, strong, white, robust warhorse. They don't remember that when a king or a conqueror approaches on a donkey, it's a demonstration of peace. Nor do they remember all the prophecies regarding this day. One of them is in Zechariah. That specifically mentions how he, he rides. Their coming king. Rides into Jerusalem. Zechariah 9 verse 9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. That's what they were doing. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. You see, the donkey should have thrown them. The donkey should have made them stop and think, what's going on here? Why is he riding a donkey? You know, the the crowds were right when they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But they were wrong about the type of deliverer that Jesus was at this time. They knew he was king, but they did not understand the nature of his kingship nor of his kingdom. They didn't realize any more than Pilate did that the kingdom that he came to establish was not of this world. It was an invisible kingdom. Hosanna literally means, save now. They were shouting, Jesus, save us now. But one commentator writes, writes this, the people wanted a conquering reigning Messiah who would come in great military power to throw off the brutal yoke of Rome and establish a kingdom of justice and righteousness where God's chosen people would have special favor. But Jesus did not come to conquer Rome, but to conquer sin and death. He did not come to make war with Rome, but to make peace with God for all people. And the people just simply did not understand this. They wanted Rome to be kicked out now. So the donkey is a really important part of this story, of this event. You see, the donkey carries Jesus. The donkey carries Jesus The donkey wasn't the object of the event. He wasn't center stage, the center figure of this major event in the history of mankind. In fact, I don't think anyone even notices him. Jesus was the center of attention. The whole thing was about Jesus coming as king. Jesus as center of worship. The object of affection. Worthy of praise. People were... To be looking at Jesus, celebrating Jesus, not the donkey. He was just a necessary part, a necessary piece for God to be glorified. He was important, don't, don't get it wrong. But Jesus was the one who everyone was supposed to be looking at. The donkey merrily carries Jesus to the people, he serves Jesus, he served the disciples. He did not serve himself, nor did he try to be the center of attention. You know, there is, I'm not a horse, but I understand there is great honor in being a white war horse. There's not a whole lot of glory in being a donkey. So I ask you, as I ask myself, Are we willing to be the donkey? Now, I know there are some other terms for donkey. (laughs) I'm not asking if you're going to be one of those. I hope you are not. But I am asking if you are willing to serve Jesus no matter what he asks you to do. we are not to be king of our lives. Jesus Christ is. We are not to be the center of attention. Jesus Christ is. When people see us, do they simply see Jesus? Because we are carrying him everywhere we go. So where is God? Well, he's right here with us. Jesus is alive. He became one of us so that he would know our suffering and our temptation so that we can approach him with confidence, asking him to manifest his presence to us. But I want us to not miss something else that's very significant here. Jesus did not use the donkey for something that the donkey was not designed to be used for. Let's catch that. Let me say it differently. Jesus used the donkey within the very nature that he had created the donkey for. He was a beast of burden. Do you understand the significance of this? So, when I ask whether we are willing to be the donkey, willing to serve Jesus no matter what he asks us to do, Jesus is going to ask us to do something that is within the design of who he's created us to be. And then he will empower us, if we ask him for his help and depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, to do exactly what he is asking us to do. It's his power. It's his presence in us, through us, that will then accomplish it. But it will be within the design of who he's created us to be. To me, that's just really encouraging. Because that, does, that means that I don't have to try to be somebody else. I don't have to try to be like you, and you don't have to try to be like me. Let's just be who God has created us to be. And carry Jesus to the people around us. Amen? So instead instead of climbing up with fear when God prompts us to have a spiritual conversation like Pastor Bev was talking about earlier with someone that we're in conversation with, instead of freaking out because he seems to be asking me to do something that I don't think I can do that, instead of allowing ourselves to be so distracted with the things of this world that we don't even have time, we don't even pay attention to him, Will we carry people? Will we carry Jesus to people? And let me ask this a little bit differently. Where are you? Where are you when people are looking for Jesus? And what might that look like in your life? Let's pray. God, I know that you are king. Today, we have proclaimed you king. We have sung about you. We see your word. We, have, we, have st- we are studying it. We are meditating on it. We are reflecting on it here today. Thank you that you are king. And God, I thank you that there's a whole lot of other very meaningful significance about that donkey and what that means. But for us, I'm glad you used a donkey. I'm glad that you use us to carry you to people. So God, would you open up our eyes to see the opportunities that are right in front of us? Would we be people who are asking you to use us, asking you for us to be a miracle in somebody else's life, asking you to say, "Who is looking for Jesus in my life that I can bring Jesus to them?" I can share Jesus. Would you open up our eyes? Would you help us be looking for you, paying attention to what you're doing? Would you use us to bring Jesus to someone else and in this way to glorify you? We love you. We worship you. It is so good to walk with you, Jesus. Amen.